Oh, I think I've had some outstanding opportunities throughout my career, pulling it all together, both the corporate experience of the Timberlands and the Levi Strauss, and then the entrepreneur experience of working with Marcia Kilgore at Fitflop, exceptional entrepreneur, prolific, pulling all of that together and making a difference at Toast is what I am most passionate about. I'm extremely privileged to be working with passionate passionate talent every day and I think choosing to surround yourself by people who are better at what they do than I could ever be in their area so that your role as CEO becomes enabling others. I, I find it a delight and this shared passion about driving change in the industry, it makes it a delight to go to work every day. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. With previous roles at Fitflop, Puma, Levi Strauss and Timberland, Susie de Rowan Wilner is a hugely experienced global CEO specialising in value-based leadership and meaningful business transformation. Susie is currently CEO at Toast, a purpose-driven global lifestyle brand, creating and curating simple, functional, beautiful clothing, homeware and content. She believes that if you focus on your team and your customer, success will follow. Committed to sharing her experience to equip others to craft and contribute to a more meaningful future, Susie is an ambassador and judge for the Women of the Future programme and initiatives and was named on their kindness and leadership 50 leading lights list. It's not a typical upbringing. I spent a lot of time with my father, living alone with him in a house in the country. I loved being around him, but he sent me to an all-boys school nearby. And I think that was actually a wonderful experience. They were just starting to allow girls. I was going to say, were you allowed to go? (laughs) How did that work? really fun. You know, I can remember the sports teacher had no idea what sports girls would play or they didn't make an effort to introduce those sports. There weren't yeah. enough girls. So we played cricket and we went running with the boys and we played football. And I think it was a great start to really enjoying being with boys and enjoying the competitiveness of being with boys. And there wasn't any of the girly business of talking about each other that you sometimes find with girls. It was more of a a male culture that I was around. I loved it. And you fully embraced it. It sounds like you loved it and it's really coming across. So you didn't feel like you were missing anything. I, I didn't know what I was missing. Yeah, and true, true. Know, that becomes your reality. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes. 
And were you a good student? Were you diligent, hardworking, or were you a bit of a jack of all trades, trying everything out? What, what were you like? I was definitely a generalist. Um, I, I think I worked hard, but I was a rebel. And my father obviously thought, uh, having put me in this environment, he then sent me to an all-girls school. Um, <laughs> and I talked my way out of that and wrote a paper to him to give him the pros and cons of letting me leave after O-level. I think the headmistress decided <laughs> it was probably a wise thing that I move on because I was talking all the, all the girls into maybe looking for a more diverse environment. And there were some complaints from parents. So I made a case for myself and he um, moved me abroad and I went to an international school. And that was enlightening because the education probably more suited, having had that structured English education, the international school was more about debate and conversation so you were expected to do the work of reading and educating yourself at home so that in the classroom actually it was all about a really good debate with knowledge backing and that I love that that was making each student accountable for their own learning and then coming and using what they'd learned to have a great conversation and explore different ideas and that suited me very very well. And how old were you at that point? How old were you when you went abroad? That was 16 to 18 and I stayed abroad actually and married in France and raised two children and then went on to live for a time in Belgium. So a good 20 years of my life spent in Europe. It's so fascinating. I love the fact that you wrote an essay and gave it to your dad. Yeah. So you were petitioning him as to what you wanted. And then he then sent you probably to the best place that he thought that your skill set could be valuable. And like you say, you could form debates and arguments and have really strategical discussions with your classmates and things like that. So it sounds like he got you and understood where you were coming from, which is lovely. I think so. I'm not sure he put that much thought into it. (laughs) And, you know, at the end of the day, we take each experience and we we make the most of it. And Mm. uh, it certainly suited me. Each part has. I think the structure early on has also helped. But I do like a good debate. Yes. So what was your first foray into into the working world? Did you have part time jobs or did you literally just launch straight into a career? How did that work out for you? I had no intention to have a career whatsoever. I I had no role models in my family of, of women with careers. My grandmother was a strong Victorian type character and in her way contributed to community in quite a structured and old fashioned way of holding parties. And however, I married a beautiful man who was a creative, but we had very little income, Kim. We were living this idyllic life in Provence, but you know, I had two small children and needs must. I taught myself. I've told this story before, but I remember it intrinsically and quite important. You know, when you've got two small ones, I absolutely knew that I was going to have to go out and carve a path to bring home some money. But for me, it was, you know, even if I'd worked at a local supermarket, that would have been okay. I just needed to bring home some money. And I learned how to, I got a great big Microsoft book that taught you how to use a computer. And I just went from the front 
to the back and I just did everything they said. And I worked out how to get a CV together out of this computer and print it. And with that, I went to the local employment agency and suggested I get a job, anything that I could do. They sent me off to various jobs, filing or assisting. And I ended up, and again, luck was there. I ended up applying for a part-time role at Timberland which was the European headquarters were based in the south of France in a town called Valoris. And I went there and it was a new world for me. And I was employed at the reception. And that was the beginning of my career in retail. It's hugely impressive to hear you talk about it. And I suppose also you were just alluding to that you had two small people at home. You knew that you were going to have to potentially be the one that went into the world of work. And it must have been intimidating too, I would have thought. And we call it now quite freely imposter syndrome, or I like to call it like knowing where to start as well, (laughs) to know what your best assets are, how you can capitalise on them. Were you quite, it sounds to me like you were quite laser focused as to, I suppose in the first instance, be pragmatic and go and earn some money, but also that you wanted to potentially build on this and go and have a career and have that as part of your arsenal? Great question. Do you know, I had no idea what I was good at. I was very tunnel visioned. It was all about bring home some money, look after my little ones. I worked it out along the way and it was probably other people who pointed it out to me. I, I didn't open up at all for quite a long time. It was tough. So I just worked very hard. But what I did work out I enjoyed what I was doing. So whatever mm. whatever I was asked to do, I did it the best I possibly could. So, you know, uh, somebody noticed me at the reception, a guy called Simon Glasgow said, you know, maybe we could try you over here and poke me in another direction. And luckily, and I think it's often about luck, he sent me off on a course in headquarters in America They had a problem with Timberland with overstock in the French department stores. He sent me off on a course and I came back. And again, I love that. I took this course and went and visited all the Timberland accounts in France in the French department stores and worked out what the problem was Mm. and hide myself to sort it. And that was the beginning of my career. But then throughout my career, in every job, I applied myself, I learnt. And then I think later in my career, I worked out, oh, I have an opportunity for a career. I'm good at this. And it took a long time. It took a lot of feedback from others saying, this is outstanding. I don't think I ever heard outstanding. I just heard my own brain telling me, do a good job, do a good job. Very over demanding of myself. And what that does earlier on, it it made me not aware of what was going out around me. So I probably wasn't the most enjoyable colleague to have. um, (laughs) And I certainly wasn't a team player. I, I was always quite surprised that people would hang out in an office because I knew I'm here for a job and I have to get home. So somebody once turned around to me and said, if you're going to progress anymore with your career, you might just hang and go and have a coffee. And I remember thinking, what for? And then I worked out, my gosh, doing a job is so much more fun. Life is so much more fun when you're not just doing the job. You're actually taking time to be with other people. And that was the beginning of learning that actually this can be fun. 
Yeah, and you're right. And it is challenging. I, mean, I have I have a four year old and it is still about trying to make connections with your colleagues, because as much as they're going down the pub and probably going to stay there till midnight, I can still potentially have meaningful one on one conversations with them and go for a couple of hours before I have to go home. You know, it's it's learning. My word this year has been boundaries. It's learning where your own boundaries are, but mm. also that things like that, like connection, like collaboration, like just having a chat and empathizing and showing a bit of compassion are still hugely important to I suppose career progression but also just to being a decent person too I think it's game-changing when you realize that in your career that actually sitting there working in your tunnel is not the way to navigate and enjoy what you're doing so once Mm. you've worked out what you do enjoy and what you're passionate about it's a game changer to work out that there are all sorts of other people around you who have a shared interest and that transforms your day Mm. And other than someone like Simon, is there a standout moment or person in particular that you would say has helped mould your interest? Because you have worked with quite traditional, I say traditional brands, you know, it's Fitflop, Puma, Levi Strauss, Timberland. They're all built to last and they're all built for longevity. And they are similar in a sense. I know they're very different too. But has there been anyone that's helped guide you that way or helped you progress? I think you look at this and you find the strangest people step in and make a difference to the way you're navigating. One of the earliest memories I have was a guy called Bill Casey. He was a young man at the time and I had just started temping and I was temping at AT AT&T and that my children were very, very little. And Bill, an American, very warm hearted man. I was his PA, part-time PA. And he worked out that there was clearly something that he wanted to help develop. And he invited me into a boardroom meeting. And this was a worldwide boardroom meeting at at and I had no idea what was going on or what language they were speaking. <laughs> but I walked into a boardroom of about 12 men. There wasn't another woman in the room. And we sat down and the men started looking around and going, oh, should we have some coffees before we put on the, the conference call? And they all sort of said, oh, I'd like this, I'd like that. And I immediately stood up and said, right, I'll I'll go and do that. And Bill very gently put his hand on my arm and made me sit down and said, that's not what you're here for. Don't do that. Don't become the woman that serves the tea and the coffee. Amazing guy. That was way back in the 90s. And of course, that stayed with me. And of course, today, you would stand up depending on who's in the room. But at that time, you had to think more carefully about the message it was sending and the impact it would have on your uh, work. Absolutely. And we all live and deal with ingrained stereotypes on a daily basis, don't we? Literally often just from, like you say, visual representation, Mm. your gender, your race, your sexual orientation, whatever it may be. And it's breaking out of that cycle almost, isn't it? So it doesn't just become normalised and because it shouldn't at all. But it's, it's also a great example of why it helps to have men on board and help us you know we often try and do this with women only um Mm. i love inviting the men because they're the ones that can help break through across all the work you've done it has been hugely varied is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of oh i think i've had some outstanding opportunities throughout my career 
pulling it all together, both the corporate experience of the Timberlands and the Levi Strauss, and then the entrepreneurial experience of working with Marcia Kilgore at FitFlop, exceptional entrepreneur, prolific, pulling all of that together and making a difference at Toast is what I am most passionate about. I'm extremely privileged to be working with passionate, passionate talent every day. And I think choosing to surround yourself by people who are better at what they do than I could ever be in their area so that your role as CEO becomes enabling others. I, I find it a delight. And this shared passion about driving change in the industry, it makes it a delight to go to work every day. I think also something that stood out for me when I was looking into you for this interview, there was a quote that you said you personally dedicate time every day to do something that nurtures your own creativity because it re-energizes you and stops you getting lost in your own head, I suppose, and also getting lost in your own persona too, to an extent. And I, I'm guessing that is probably a real key component that has helped you excel because you are clearly trying to expand your horizons. I'm, I'm constantly trying to break up my day and make sure that I'm focused on others and that I'm also focused on what's feeding my brain. I, I find just walking down the street can feed my brain. Um, people watching. <laughs> people watching. I'm a real people watcher, aren't you? Yeah, you absolutely. <laughs> I love watching people. I love watching interactions, what makes a difference, and it lifts me. I like to surround myself with colors that inspire with books that I could just pick up and have a flip through during the day. Textures make a big difference. You know, I, I, I'm very lucky, surround myself with some beautiful texture from toast and the colors are quite soothing to me. And I need that, I'm a very driven person. So having all of this around me does slow me down, uh, makes me feel yeah. thoughtful of others. So how did you first hear about the Women of the Future programme and how did you get involved with them? I was listening to Pinky Lilani on a stage. It was at the build-up to the Olympics in England and she was speaking about what she was doing and I thought it was tremendous. I am really committed to helping women. I think we can't do enough of it. We are nowhere. We've still got so much to do. And Pinky inspired me. I then met her in the loo um, of <laughs> house where she was speaking. And I said, you know, how can I get involved? And since then, I, I've been very lucky to be involved. I, I particularly like going to schools and speaking to younger people. I think the earlier in lives that you can influence and have mm. a different message, you know, that experience of standing up in the conference room and offering tea, I'm sure that was something about how earlier on as a child, it had been instilled in me that I was there to serve. And I think the earlier you can show young people a different model and help introduce them to different people, the better. Absolutely. And different ways of thinking. And I know that you visited over six schools for them and as an ambassador and have positively impacted over a thousand students. So that's quite remarkable in itself. So thank you from us to you as well. I didn't know that number. That's good to hear, but it's clearly not enough. The more women um, and younger women, we need to get younger women, creative women out there talking 
to children. And it's a delight. It's so energising, isn't it? I have some quick fire questions for you just to finish. Off we go. <laughs> what would you describe as your greatest success? Being nominated for the kindness in leadership was a phenomenal moment for me and it made me cry actually. I was so touched because I'd come from the beginnings I'd come from where I was quite hard over and insular and focused and not a team player to come to a place where I have created an environment for myself that surrounds myself with positive energy, good people, and I'm able to lead with kindness, or I challenge myself to do that every day. I'm sure sometimes I get it wrong. <laughs> but having a more thoughtful approach to how you lead and embed a thoughtful culture in a company, help other people whenever you can. It was transformative in my life. And the moment of being nominated was a big moment for me in my life. And your greatest failure? Greatest failure. I think um, I've worked in some environments where I haven't performed at my best. And I think the failure was not choosing the culture and environment that was best for me. I've worked in some iconic brands. You know, if you look at Levi Strauss Timberland, they are founder-owned brands. They are led with a social conscience. They're beautiful environments to work for when you're actually contributing to something greater than selling product. And they're giving back to community. And I've made some mistakes in my career where maybe I haven't chosen cultures that have done that to my detriment. It was not good for my health, not good for those around me. And certainly I wasn't able to do the job that I think leaders should do, empowering others and being a role model, thoughtful leadership. So greatest failure probably led to me being more considered and understanding the culture that I wanted to lead in or create. The mantra of Women of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? Um, I think I am every day, as I say, I'm quite a driven person. So it's very good for me to think about being kind. I, I'm, I'm a people watcher. So I'm watching people all the time, body language, particularly with this world that we live on, mm. um, where we're on a screen. So you, you're able to see the top of a body. Kindness for me is really spending your time looking, listening into the changes in voice so that you're very much aware how your team are. Yeah. And where people aren't performing, having the courage to go and have that conversation with them. That is also kind. If people are struggling, they need someone who is able and wants to have those conversations. So that's kindness. It's, it's actually helping people and observing, taking the time to observe and help them all the time, whether it's good, bad or ugly. And the collaboration, collaborating with our suppliers around the world during the pandemic, it was leaning in and making sure that we were collaborating in a way that we could all be proud of. Collaborating every day with our team or with our suppliers or with our customers. It's that kindness and collaboration constantly. I agree with what you're saying about us all being in these little boxes and not really giving to reach through because when you were in an office environment if someone walked in and they're a bit downbeat you could see it instantaneously it was there whereas mm. if you've got it in a virtual setting it's very easy to mask isn't it or to hide your actual genuine feelings 
you're so right. People, people have been terrified. You know, they may not say so. And some people are frightened of saying so. There are moments where I was exhausted mm. and people are very quick, particularly in England. We're very polite. Um, mm -hmm. when, you know, you say, how are you? I'm fine. But actually you can see in their face or the way they've answered that, that they're not. So it's really about taking the time offline, not in front of everyone yeah. and actually having a real conversation and going, how are things? You know, I'm exhausted. How are you? Mm. <laughs> um, I think, you know, in the first year of the pandemic, the unemployment was huge. People were furloughed. That was very frightening. And so for those who were still in a job every day, without saying so, they were frightened that that might happen to them tomorrow. And so it, it's a constant constant need for communication and thoughtful communication not making people feel guilty encouraging people to take a break people tended to overcompensate by working very very hard and actually you needed them to look after themselves and be able to contribute so it was being aware of all of those things and clearly you know the management team at toast certainly put people at the top of the agenda that was something we agreed right up at the beginning of the pandemic. So every day we had a team meeting and then everybody with their teams had a daily call. And I think that we were lucky that made a big change. Is there anything that scares you? I wouldn't say I'm scared. I would say concerns. And it definitely concerns me that we are not making enough headway with women and inequality. And so the more we can do, the better. I think Women of the Future is a great example of women helping women. And, you know, when you are judging the winners of the Women of the Future or the Asian Women of Achievement, you meet the most extraordinary women. You hear that they're still struggling. They still lack confidence. They still have imposter syndrome. And we're not cutting through that yet. So, yes. It makes me impatient. I think we've got an awful lot more to do. And what's left on your own to-do list? I think I just have to keep doing what I'm doing. I could aspire to wonderful things for my own career, <laughs> but actually I'm in an enviable position working with a beautiful brand with highly talented individuals. I think we are trying to lead change through being more thoughtful and kind with how we treat people but also how we impact the planet at toast but the job's just started <laughs> and <laughs> you know we've been at it six years so what's next more more focused and really bringing up the future leaders within our culture so that they can impact the future that's important to all of us yeah and talking of future leaders, I see that you're a new grandmother. That's quite exciting. I <laughs> Congratulations. I beautiful Thank you. Elodie. Yes. Aww. She's a very I'm very lucky. She lives literally five minutes away. Oh, so I, I see quite a little bit of Elodie, and she's a magnificent addition to our family. Thank you so much, Susie. Thank it's you. been lovely to speak to you and just to understand what makes you tick and your inspirations and your motivations. And I genuinely hope that I get to speak to you again because it's been so engaging and thoroughly enjoyable. And I hope everyone listening has enjoyed it just as much. Oh, Kim, thank you. I hope to see you soon. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.